The observatory 18 degrees Celsius, humidity 66%. News and weather, RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Kittings. My guest presenter this morning is Philip Wong. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Danny. We'll be starting today's show by talking to the head of Hong Kong's newest university, St. Francis University, about the role of private universities in Hong Kong. Then, in our main topic, we're going to be looking at proposals to tackle misuse of the city's often saturated emergency wards by revamping A&E charges. The health secretary revealed some patients are using emergency wards to treat such minor ailments as pimples and itches, with non-urgent cases currently comprising up to two-thirds of the A&E cases that lead to such long waiting times at some public hospitals. The government wants to put a stop to this by introducing a variable charging model where less serious cases would be charged more, while the more urgent cases might pay less. But how would such a pricing system work? Why are patients so keen to visit uh, A&E departments even for minor cases? And is it because of a lower cost or a lack of private clinics? Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233 Double eight two six six. First, as I mentioned just now, um, we are joined by uh, Dr. Kim Mack. Dr. Kim Mack is the president of what was uh, formerly known as the uh, Caritas um, Institute of Higher Education, but has now become uh, St. Francis University. So, uh, Dr. Mack, uh, good morning, and of course, congratulations. Good morning. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is, I mean, this process takes a long time. It's been, it's been, a, it's been, a, it's been a, a long, hard work to get to this stage, hasn't it? Yes, well, we uh, were originally established as the Francis Sioux College, uh, but we started offering degree programs as early as uh, 2011. And that's when we uh, began to lay the foundation of uh, our longer-term goal of becoming the St. Francis University. Yes, I mean, I work in uh, higher education as well. I know a little bit about this process. You, you have to, don't you? You have to satisfy the HKCAVQ uh, that you're, you're, you're up to standard in uh, different areas, get something called program area accreditation. It's a very exacting process, isn't it? Well, there is a, a very clear uh, document that sets out uh, stringent criteria for becoming a, a university. And we support this because the uh, Accreditation Council of Hong Kong is internationally recognized and it reflects the high quality of the higher education in Hong Kong. And so uh, we've been uh, taking this approach and and also regarding it as an opportunity for self-improvement. And we deliberately have all our programs uh, accredited by HKCAVQ to give it to give the quality more transparency. Now, Caritas, now St Francis University, would of course is is of course a private university, the uh, fourth private university in Hong Kong. Um, yesterday, you appeared on RTHK and, and you said that the private universities still need to do some more work to win over the public in Hong Kong. Perhaps you could ex- expand a little bit on those remarks. Well. Um Say, for example, in the United States, uh, private universities came before publicly funded universities. And uh, many of these private universities, when they first started, 
was quite similar to um, uh, the institutions in Hong Kong. But of course, uh, we, if we take a snapshot today, it's a couple of hundred years later. So in Hong Kong, uh, since uh, the publicly funded institutions started a little bit earlier, so they are generally larger and, and so on. But um, I guess overall, most institutions are quite young. So we all have to work together and work hard to really uh, realize this uh, goal of Hong Kong government uh, to make Hong Kong an international higher education hub. Mm, Dr. Macca, first of all, congratulations uh, to you and uh, the university. But I just want to know about, you know, what does it mean now, now that you've become a university? What are the differences between the institute and university and what are the changes that you need to make? Well, I guess, uh, as we said earlier, uh, it's not an overnight change. Mm. Uh, we have to demonstrate that we reach the standard expected of a university in many different areas including our quality assurance system, our scale of enrollment, our research capability, and on and on and on. And now, and uh, we have been using these criteria for self-reflection, mm -hmm. and therefore take uh, research as an example. We have actually been doing research uh, uh, in, uh, besides basic research, we're also aiming for uh, research that would uh, create impact in Hong Kong, such as uh, uh, community health, um, youth and children, uh, artificial intelligence, and so on. Now, therefore, the International Accreditation Panel, organized by HKCAABQ, were able to see that we've reached the university uh, standard, and therefore uh, we we are excited by this, and uh, we have to uh, carry on with what we are doing, and hopefully continue to do a good job. And as you mentioned, like you know, this was a very very long, uh, arduous process. Um, but I, I don't want to sound like a party pooper. But the, you know, the climate back then when you first decided to okay, let's become a university to now. The climate now, it's very, very different. In particular, you know, we have a lot of people leaving. Um, you, I guess it doesn't affect you now, but there's a low birth rate, so probably 18, 20 years down the line it might affect you. You know, are, are you a little bit concerned about this? Like, you know, are you concerned about, you know, reaching the numbers that you want to reach? Well, um, there's a lot of discussions about that, and it's uh, pretty obvious that the birth rate in Hong Kong uh, is very low now. But what I guess we have to remember is that uh, we have to uh, help every one of our young persons realize their full potential. Everyone has talent. So it's not just the number. It's also trying to create an educational system and a career development system that help young people realize their very different talents. So I think the um, uh, granting of uh, a university title to create additional institutes uh, add uh, quality education opportunities and choices to uh, the university sector, which is good and, and is a recognition to the young people who have worked hard to realize their aspiration. 
<clears throat> now, one of the big developments in the university sector over the next couple of years is going to be the uh, chief executive's announcement in the policy address that he wants to see universities of applied sciences in Hong Kong. And um, I know uh, a number of other institutions like Tsinghua College have already expressed interest. Um, where, <clears throat> where, where does St. Francis University stand on that? Would you like to become a university of applied sciences? Well, um, we actually uh, support the uh, pilot program to establish applied degree uh, programs by the Education Bureau, EDB, uh, and we pioneered the nursing applied degree program, and we will be uh, launching uh, more applied degree programs, including in this uh, coming uh, semester, we'll be offering the um, applied degree for hotel and tourism management. Now, I guess the public also um, supports the idea of nurturing talents to fill the, um, the manpower gap in the industry and also uh, to raise the competitiveness of the Hong Kong human resources. So we're trying to contribute our share. And uh, separately, we have also proactively uh, promoting secondary schools, uh, STEM education. Uh, so, um, well, in essence, uh, these uh, are developments that are already ongoing. Now, as far as the uh, University of Applied Sciences, we will watch the details of the EDB policy closely, and it will be for our Board of Governors to make the final determination. So what you're saying, you haven't made a final, and of course you can't make a final decision because we don't know the details yet, but uh, but uh, you, you're, you're already uh, very strong and moving in the direction of applied sciences anyway. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and also, um, I guess um, St. Francis University and previously uh, as uh, a Caritas Institute of Higher Education has always been offering a uh, through-trained pathway for articulation to enable young people to achieve their goals. So uh, we, we have uh, a lot of partners and sister uh, colleges uh, in the offering this sort of uh, through-trained pathways. So uh, I guess we are well positioned if the decision is to uh, support uh, some of these uh, initiatives, but of course, as a university, we also have to offer diversified education programs. So uh, there will continue to be humanities programs and other programs that uh, we will offer in our portfolio. Oh, is that a concern there, that becoming a University of Applied Science might squeeze out humanities and business programs and so on? I don't think so. Um, for example, uh, we have a cluster of programs which we name techno-humanities and business. In essence, we have uh, our humanities uh, school, our business school, and our uh, uh, computing and uh, sciences school work together uh, to offer programs like artificial intelligence, uh, digital entertainment technology, or some people prefer to call it metaverse technology, and even translation technology. Take translation technology as an example. Uh, you, you, we basically use uh, technology um, for translating uh, languages, which makes the, uh, the translation process 
three hundred thousand times faster faster than doing it by hand and can uh, translate hundreds and of eastern and western languages. So these are things that uh, are possible, and uh, they they uh, will lead to good career outlets for graduates, and yet they enable. Humanities to thrive in uh, university curriculum. Yeah, before sorry, go on. No, oh, and now that you know you, you, your university, you know you join a list of a long list of uh, public funded universities, and of course uh, the other. I believe now they're, that you're in they're the, the four, they're the four, four, private, four private universities. You know, what, what are the things that you think, especially you know this will be your first year becoming university. What are the things that you think can make you stand out from the other you know, universities? Well, uh, we would like to um, think that uh, we, uh, our programs have our own characteristics. So, uh, uh, for example, uh, health sciences uh, is, an, uh, is an area where um, there's a huge shortage of skills, uh, which cannot rely entirely on the public sector. Uh, there, there, there is a shortage of nurses uh, projected as far as we know. So um, it's, it's a good example. Besides nursing, we offer physiotherapy and so on. And uh, there are also uh, a lot of different professions related to social services which are in demand. And these two areas would help nurture talent for building a healthy Hong Kong and also an inclusive community. And uh, these would uh, complement the techno-humanities and business clusters of programs that I just talked about. Besides programs, these existing programs will be offering uh, more master's uh, degree programs as well as new applied degree programs. And um, uh, we are committed to whole person from uh, education, uh, including character formation, uh, articulation. And since we're not for profit, uh, we try to pay uh, attention uh, to reach out to uh, students uh, who may have the need, and we, uh, we, we like to do student support well. So um, we think we uh, will continue uh, what we have been doing because uh, uh, in recent years our student enrollment has uh, increased every year. Now, if you walk around any public-funded university these days, you'll hear a lot of Mandarin being spoken, sometimes more Mandarin than um, uh, Cantonese. Uh, mainland students becoming a very important component of enrollment at uh, publicly-funded universities. So, uh, what's the, I know some of the more restrictions on private universities. What's the situation at St. Francis University? Uh, uh, well, in fact, if you walk around any university uh, in different countries, you see the same phenomenon that you <laughs> described. <laughs> uh, as far as we are concerned, um, we um, welcome uh, non-local students. Uh, there have been, a, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a pause during COVID, so uh, we look forward to um, resuming those uh, recruitment activities. Uh, at the moment, a lot of our students uh, are local students, because, um, uh, well, there is such a strong demand. But I think looking uh, forward to the longer term, we hope the uh, non-local quota uh, that government 
has recently lifted for the public sector would equally be lifted for the self-financing sector, and also higher diploma graduates in the pub, uh, public sector, uh, well, uh, in in publicly backed institution anyway, has been given the opportunity to work in Hong Kong. And I think that uh, treatment perhaps should be re regularized and to enable graduates from every institution to uh, have that opportunity to help fill the skill shortage in Hong Kong. So just to clarify, at the moment, you actually and other private universities, you're under uh, tighter restrictions in terms of bringing in non-local students, including from the mainland, than the publicly funded universities. And uh, uh, you'd like to see that changed? Yes. Yes, correct. That's correct. And what about like you know in terms of hiring? Now that you know your your university, what what does it mean in terms of hiring? Would you be hiring you know more people from overseas, or will you continue to hire you know staff from local in Hong Kong? Both, I guess. Um, we have uh, an open uh, recruitment policies. Uh, we look at ability. We don't look at just uh, where people come from. In fact, uh, we we have attracted. Uh, professors and staff from uh, different institutions to give us a diversity of network and experience. So we're open-minded about that. Okay, thank you very much. But uh, maybe, Dr. Magby, uh, be, before, before you go, we, you mentioned about the role of AI. All of us in uh, education, higher education, are, are, um, are grasping with um, how AI is going to affect us. And maybe just your closing thoughts. So what, is this going to change everything, AI? Uh, well, uh, it's inevitable. Uh, so I guess we have to enable our students uh, to uh, learn the skills that they would be uh, that would be necessary in their future career. But the challenge is not just the technology. The challenge is for us to adjust the way we teach, the way we assess, and uh, so that's uh, really going to be a gradual development of how best we use uh, AI to assist training and learning and keep humanities in the middle in the process. Okay, thank you very much uh, to uh, Dr. Kim Mack, who joined us this morning. Dr. Kim Mack, uh, the uh, president of um, Hong Kong's newest university, St. Francis University, normally known as the, um, formerly known as the Caritas Institute of Higher Education. Moving on now to well, what is actually our, our main topic today, uh, although, of course, this, uh, the, having a new university in Hong Kong is also very important. Um, if you want to uh, get seen at a public hospital this morning, as throughout much of the winter, you will be waiting a long time. Uh, looking at the uh, current uh, waiting times, if you were going to uh, Eastern Hospital in Hong Kong Island, you could be waiting eight hours. If you tried uh, Queen Mary Hospital, uh, slightly slower, uh, or slightly, sorry, slightly faster, seven hours, um, and plenty of other hospitals around Hong Kong where the waiting time is between five and eight hours. So this is, um, uh, the hospital authority um, doesn't like to refer to uh, uh, the system being overwhelmed, but they do they do agree that uh, the public hospital system is under stress. Uh, the health secretary uh, Lo Chen Mao has been talking about this over the past couple of days and pointing out that one of the problems is that a lot of people are turning up at uh, public hospitals uh, for treatment for non-urgent cases, mentioning even some cases involving acne or pimples. pimples. Things, yeah, things like that. Uh, in fact, there are apparently two thirds of A and E cases actually fall into the lower category of. Uh, 
or the lower two categories of either semi-urgent or non-urgent cases and suggesting perhaps the people who turn up at uh, public hospitals with uh, non-urgent cases should be charged more. Uh, well, joining us uh, to discuss the current situation in public hospitals and the proposals put forward by the Health Secretary is uh, uh, Lochin uh, Mao is uh, Alex Lam. Alex Lam is the chair of the Hong Kong Patients uh, Voice. So, uh, Mr Lam, good morning. Welcome to Back Chat again. Um, good morning. So, first of all, what do you think of this system of variable charge? If you turn up with a, a um, serious problem at uh, A&E, it'll be cheaper. But if, it's, uh, if you're just trying to have your pimples um, uh, t- treated, you might be charged the same as a private doctor. What do you think of this idea? Well, I think this is uh, something um, very complicated, mm. um, um, so to speak. Uh, uh, there, there was no um, uh, discussion in the community as to uh, why this will help uh, uh, to um, cure the, the people uh, abusing the system. In fact, uh, when I when I hear uh, Professor Lowe, our secretary uh, <laughs> for for health, that um, we we have a serious problem of uh, uh, misuse or uh, abuse of the, the use of uh, A&E service in the public hospital. But, but in, in 2017, when, when the government decided to increase the, the fee from $100 to $180, uh, there was a tremendous drop of uh, people using the, uh, the A&E service from uh, 2.2 million people every year uh, to 1.7 last year. So there's a, there's a downward of uh, half a million people uh, using this um, uh, A&E service. So there was uh, already uh, a drop of uh, um, people using this service. And uh, when, when Professor Lowe uh, mentioned about certain cases that uh, they don't deserve uh, A&E service, yes, uh, I agree, because um, under the, the current system, we have uh, five categories of urgency, with the first uh, critical, second uh, um, uh, emergency, Third, uh, urgent, semi-urgent, and non-urgent. So when when you uh, classify as uh, cat four or cat five, you have to wait because there are some people in front of you who will be um, uh, have a higher priority of getting a service because they they are cat one, two, or three. So so this triage system in each of the uh, public hospital will have this um, effect that uh, you won't if you are cat four or five, you won't join the queue before uh, people, you know, uh, who has a higher category than you. And in, in fact, um, according to the, the hospital authority reports that um, CAT 1 and 2, uh, patient in CAT 1 and 2 will usually, mostly, uh, get the medical attention um, within time or zero time within, uh, well, uh, with uh, uh, 100%. So. Um, we, we are not talking about, um, you know, the, the, the people who um, abusing the system will affect the, um, uh, the medical attention of uh, other patients. Yeah. Uh, but my, my concern is uh, by, by, increasing, by increasing the fees for getting this service will deter the people who, um, who might not be able to get the service elsewhere. And yes, um, there are reasons for people who would uh, uh, who would be willing to wait for a long time to get the service. Clearly, there are people who have uh, a financial problem. 
Uh, Mr. Lam, I, I can kind of relate to uh, what you're saying. You know, recently I, I, uh, from playing football, I had an eye, uh, eye injury, was, which was really bad. And, you know, I went to the hospital and it only took me 30 minutes to see it. Whereas, you know, the other patients, I believe they were in cat four or five. They had to wait for seven to eight hours. So I guess in a way you could yeah. say that's actually working, isn't it? And there is no need to really look at, the, look at any price increase at the moment. Yes. Um, and in fact, uh, I, I have uh, studied carefully with the, uh, the figures uh, as um, put in the uh, HA report, annual reports, that uh, the, the, the highest people getting the A&E service will be in Kuntong and Tumun Hospital. Do you know the reason why? They, those are the districts with the highest number of low-income uh, residents. Uh, Tumun, we are talking about Tumun Hospital, with uh, people living in Tumun and Yunlong, they are the, the highest number of low-income uh, uh, residents, according to the government uh, study. So those people who would have a, a financial difficulty to um, go around the private clinic to get a service in, in A&E. So, so, yes, they have the medical needs. I mean, they, they are not, uh, you know, um, using the service for no reason. They have okay. to wait for a long time if they are, you know, uh, uh, having a not-so-serious problem. Okay. Uh, we have to take a break for the news, but, uh, but stay with us. We're going to continue the discussion after the news about the current situation in uh, public hospitals and the health secretary's complaint that um, too many people are using the uh, public hospitals for non-urgent cases. Do let us know your thoughts. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or go to our Facebook page, backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and comment there. Uh, the weather forecast is going to be dry with sunny periods, and the uh, temperature is going to rise to 21 degrees uh, later but currently it's 19 degrees relative humidity 65 percent it's 9 30 here's Todd Harting with the news the agriculture fisheries and conservation department says a sample from a pig farm near Yunlong tested positive for African swine fever yesterday after samples from 32 pigs were taken on Tuesday a nuclear power plant in Japan was left largely undamaged after being hit by a three-metre-high tsunami following last week's earthquake. The operator said a seawall built out of the Fukushima accident had done its job. The head of the World Health Organization has called on Israel to allow the de delivery of humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip, saying it was currently impossible to reach those in need. And the British Prime Minister says a new law will be introduced to exonerate hundreds of post office managers who were wrongly convicted. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Hi, I'm Captain Blood. Many patients are waiting for my help. Even when there are extreme temperatures or after a storm or heavy rainfall, I am determined to donate blood. If you're planning to visit a country with potential risks of infectious diseases, donate blood first before traveling to avoid deferral later. One blood donation can save three lives. Act now and make an appointment via the Hong Kong Blood app. To create a brighter future for Hong Kong, how should we allocate resources? Promote green transformation, help the needy, nurture future leaders, improve quality of our homes, diversify industries, enhance financial services and INT, and attract talent and enterprises. Achieve sustainable development and grow the pie for Hong Kong. The 2024 to 25 budget public consultation has started. Go to budget.gov.hk and share your views. 
Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Uh, your guest presenter this morning is Philip Wong. In the second half of the show, we're going to be continuing our discussion about the situation in uh, public hospitals in Hong Kong. As I mentioned, uh, uh, long waits again in the public hospitals across Hong Kong this morning, looking at the waiting time varying from the... Actually, there are one or two public hospitals in the new territories where you, you might only wait an hour, but uh, more commonly waits of five to eight hours across um, uh, most hospitals in Hong Kong. Uh, the health secretary uh, talking about these, these long waits... Uh, are complaining about the number of patients who are using emergency wards for minor cases such as pimples and itches and suggesting uh, that they should be charged more going forward. Um, let us know your thoughts on this idea of a variable charging uh, system and indeed the, the whole issue of um, uh, the over overcrowding at public hospitals. Our, our email address, backchat at rthk, or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free and leave a comment there. Our guest as we continue the discussion, still with us, Alex Lam, who's chair of Hong Kong Patients voice. We're now also joined by Dickie Chow. Dickie Chow is a researcher in health at our Hong Kong Foundation. Good morning, Mr. Chow. Welcome to Back Chat. Good morning, Philip. Um, what do you think about this uh, proposal for that um, we should have different charges for different types of cases in A&E departments and less serious cases should be charged more and more serious cases should be charged less? Do you, th do you, do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it would work? I think before we deep dive into the discussion about um, the charges, I think we have to first understand the profile. Who is actually going to the A&E and who is not? Um, first of all, I would like to bring your attention to like three figures or three trends. The first is about the number of A&E attendants to the population, like the ratio. It actually decreases from um, 320 um, a number of A&E attendants in 2012 to currently in 2022 is around 233. So there is a record of a 26% decrease. That means actually per population, per uh, 1,000 population, we record a decrease, quite a significant decrease in the number of A&E attendants across uh, the past decade. That's the first trend. And the second trend will be um, the share of um, category four or category five patients it decreases from around 70% in 2008 to around 56% in 2021. That means it also records a significant decrease in the categories um, categorized as uh, non-urgent or semi-urgent cases. That's the two trends that I will bring your attention to. And the last one will be um, the, uh, the age profile about the A and E attendance. Actually, the, uh, all, among all the like, age groups, most of them have record decreases in the uh, uh, in the A and E attendance, except the one group which is the one aged 65 or above. It increases from around 30 percent to 37 percent over the last 10 years. So we can have a clearer picture about uh, what is the real problem about um, who is going to the A and E attendance. After we have this kind of um, picture, and then we can discuss what is really needed to change the A&E to avoid misuse or maybe you would say abuse or whatever. Um, we, we have to make it most appropriate use of our A&E resources. <laughs> and into the discussion about how we are going to change, we have to first understand that um, actually no one is paying a visit to the A&E services only by like our interest or if there uh, there's no demand and then they go there. All of the people go to ANU uh, services, they have a demand. And the problem is whether they should get the treatment in ANU services or other places. I think that should be the discussion. 
and uh, the, it, the price change will only be effective or meaningful, or this, this discussion will only be meaningful if there is a comprehensive measures to be introduced. What do I mean by comprehensive measures? That means if you would like to change the behavior of the people not going to the A&E, so what are the alternatives? I think that should be the core of the discussion. And um, in to, to discuss uh, what should be the alternatives, I think we can separate the two perspectives or two angles. One is about the services out of hours. That means in the evening. That means uh, perhaps in midnight. Actually, um, there are quite limited choices or limited options for people to uh, go to find medical services outside the working hours because actually just more than a uh, slightly more than 30 percent of the GOPC of the general outpatient clinics they can provide um, a weekday evening service until 10 p.m. and actually more than 80 to 90 percent of the GOPC they didn't provide any services um, during Sundays or public holidays. That means out of office, uh, out of service hours, actually people or citizens, they have very, very limited choices. And we can't see many um, private uh, clinics that are operating outside working hours as well. So that's actually the core of the problems for outside working hours. And for within the hours, like perhaps because, as I said, um, most of the A&E attendants, the patient profile, they're actually elderly, there are actually those aged uh, above 65, they may actually go to use the A&E services during working hours. But the problem is, why are they there? For most of the people, um, they don't usually go to A&E. A&E services are not their like, first choice. They're actually their, their last resort. But why do they need to go there? It's because they can't really make a reservation in GOPC or in other places. That's why they have no other choice but to go to A&E services. So when we talk about whether we would like to increase the, um, increase the prices of A&E services, we have to think about what are the alternatives. I think that should be the um, direction of our discussion. Uh, Mr. Chow, so you make a lot of good points, but I want to, this is just for argument's sake, um, I just want to push back on your very first, um, you know, detailed analysis on the, the on the drop in A&E cases from, I think you mentioned about 2008 to all the way to 2022, the 21. Um, as Mr. Lam mentioned, you know, there was this price increase at 2020, in 2017 from 100 and, uh, to $180, and that caused a significant drop. So, I mean, in, in a sense, you know, the, the data that you mentioned, and a big part of it is because of that increase in 2017, right? So you could kind of argue that the increase in price worked. Um, I would say it. I would say to increase in price will be one of the factors, but mm. we should not um, overlook that actually there are a lot of different measures um, happening or introduced after 2017, like the development of primary health care, like more options, like the um, integrated nursing clinics, and also a lot of more like GOPC, PPP. So there are a lot of different options to divert the patient load. That's why, uh, and also we can't uh, under, uh, we can't ignore the the influence about COVID as well, mm. because for for COVID, like many of the patients, they prefer staying at home or visiting the clinics rather than go to the uh, A and E services or the hospital. So there are a lot of factors um, contributing to that kind of decrease. But the problem is. We can't just see the A&E services like um, operating in a vacuum. They're not. They're like a part integrated or um, connect, closely connected to different services. So we have to, if we would like to um, divert the patient load to other places, 
we have to um, also introduce other measures to divert that patient load. Just like what I said, if uh, we're going to um, if develop the primary health care, we are going to provide more primary health care services to increase the accessibility of primary health care services. That may be more effective to couple with the price increase in ANU services. Otherwise, the people have no choice but to go to um, the ANU services, then the price increase may not be very effective or may not be very meaningful. Then that's why I said we, we need actually a very comprehensive plan of what are the measures. We can't just increase the price and Okay, and, and do not provide any alternatives to the citizens. Okay, we're discussing the uh, long waiting times in uh, A&E departments in public hospitals in uh, Hong Kong and the government's proposal to try and address this by introducing variable charging for different types of cases. You just heard Dickie Chow from our Hong Kong Foundation. Also still with us, uh, Alex Lam from Hong Kong's Patients Voices. If you've got any thoughts, uh, do email us at backchat at rthk on hk or you go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free and leave a comment there. A lot of comments uh, coming in from listeners, uh, some of them based on their own experiences in, in, in A&E departments. Let's go for a selection of comments coming in from listeners. Uh, Brett says, um, on the occasions I've gone to the A&E in our public hospitals, I don't have to wait. The last time they didn't even wait for the PCR test results to come back before putting me into a ward for a week just before the fifth wave hit us. The root problem, I believe, is most folk here think one must see a doctor for seemingly everything that ails them. Even for the, and even for the common cold or flu, one must take medicine. There's no cure for the common cold or flu. All you can do is make some of the signs and symptoms a little less pleasant. Since we all pay taxes, especially the indirect land tax that ends up in the Capital Works Fund, we Hong Kong people expect to make use of public health care. It's our right. Instead of some unwieldy charge based on severity, um, A&E should, should just not entertain folks who, as I like to say, go to A&E to get their toenails clipped. Having myself been told off for going to eat A&E for what appeared to be the start of my appendix attempting to kill me, then getting strung along for over two years now trying to get to the bottom of the problem of what, what is wrong with me. The hospital's authority's solutions looking for a problem only uh, serve to confirm... Uh, yes, maybe I can't quite read the last part, but uh, that, that there are pro- maybe I can paraphrase you, Brett, as saying that there, there, there are serious problems with uh, how the hospital authority uh, handles things. Um, come on, come on, I mean, uh, another comment from Mike here raises an interesting point. Says there are a couple of problems you need to discuss. Uh, at the start of this back chat, uh, not the end. Uh, firstly, what few private clinics are open from 1 a.m. to 7 a.m.? Uh, private hospitals charge $1,500 plus ER charges before any testing and doctor's consultation. Your visit could easily cost uh, $10,000 on an outpatient visit. Uh, secondly, in the government ER, you pay $180 before you see the doctor who determines whether it's a true emergency. A receptionist cannot determine cost other than the $180. So now you expect the doctor to punitively charge a patient for not being severe enough. You're putting excess stress on the ER uh, team. Uh, Mike making an interesting point there that the charging system itself, mm-hmm. the way it's uh, run in public hospitals, apparently wouldn't necessarily support this idea of variable charging. Um, finally, uh, for the moment, from uh, Ilna. Ilna says uh, the fees uh, for uh, public, uh, for, for, sorry, fees for emergency rooms have not seen a price increase in nearly seven years. They should be increased by at least $300 to discourage people from abusing the system. This fee will make individuals reconsider whether they truly need to rush to emergency rooms for a simple cough or minor illness. It's a waste of medical resources. After all, they call an accident in emergency departments for a reason. 
Efforts should also be made to enhance public education on self-care through precautionary measures and obtaining medication for pharmacies. The effectiveness of the existing triage system should be reviewed. Alternative solutions to prevent abuse of the system should be explored. On another note, some lawmakers have proposed scrapping the right to medical services for individuals who have permanently left Hong Kong, particularly health service care services. They argue medical services should cater exclusively to long-term residents of Hong Kong who actively contribute to the local economy by paying tax. Whether individuals who have relocated elsewhere should retain the right to such benefits is questionable and should be thoroughly discussed. Considering the overwhelming burden on hospitals and significant budget deficit, it's imperative to implement these changes promptly. Thank you very much, Eola. Thank you very much uh, to all our listeners for their comments. Please do keep those comments uh, coming at backchatterrthk.hk. Uh, let's bring uh, Alex Lam from uh, Hong Kong Patients Voice back into discussion. Uh, Alex Lam, uh, a lot of interesting comments uh, from uh, yeah. listeners today. Um, uh, please yeah. feel free to follow up on any of them, particularly our, our last listener, um, following up on this idea that people who've left Hong Kong should be stopped from coming back to Hong Kong to use public hospitals. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I think this uh, comment is very political. I, I should not comment <laughs> on this. But, but every Hong Kong citizen is entitled uh, to Hong Kong medical services. That's, that's for sure. I mean, the, when people are making this comment, they have to consider there are quite a number of people who uh, choose to, to live in the uh, Great Bay Area for retirement, for work, or for other purposes. Those people <coughs> should be entitled to, um, you know, uh, um, um, uh, medical services. And the Hong Kong government is uh, trying hard to uh, provide the service uh, uh, across the border in the mainland uh, to provide uh, medical service, and uh, they're discussing to provide drugs as well. And I want to comment on the, one of the listeners saying that uh, people with uh, uh, um, common cold should, um, you know, should not go to uh, the hospital. But it is against the, the government propaganda that uh, if you have you have a flu symptom, you should see a doctor. And also, people who have a flu or common cold, they need to take a rest. And and also, if they are in employment, they do need uh, a medical certificate for, um, you know, resting at home. So, in any event, uh, people. Um, as Mr. Chen said, the people who have a, a lot of reason to get the, um, uh, the service in a &E. We have to find out the reason why they need the service. They, why people would have to uh, would be willing to wait for such a long time mm. to see a doctor in the A&E department. Uh, and in, uh, according to the figures, every year you, you have about 20, 25,000 people under CAT 1 and 50,000 people in CAT 2, and around 700,000 people under CAT 3. So these three categories of people will have the, uh, um, uh, uh, the service within time, within time. So the, the remaining figure, we are talking about around uh, 1 million people who are under CAT 4 and CAT 5. So, so as I said, you, you have to understand why these people will have to wait for a long time, they, you know, we, we talk about hours before you can see a doctor under the triage system. And it is probably because they are having financial problems. Mm. Uh, they don't have the means to see private uh, uh, doctor uh, yeah. by paying more. Now that uh, you uh, ask them to pay more to, to, you know, to equalize the, the payment to a private doctor so that, um, you know, um, for the, for the purpose of deter them from seeking um, uh, medical service, 
uh, as a matter of Mr. Chen said that, you know, people would uh, get the service because um, they don't have this uh, opportunity to see a private doctor because uh, that's uh, probably the long holiday, probably at midnight. Um, so there's reason that uh, you, you charge them uh, by, you know, you, you stop them from using the service by, by asking them to pay more. It's uh, against the principle of a safety net in Hong Kong. Uh, that the principle has been in Hong Kong for decades that uh, uh, no one would be left out. Uh, from the, the medical service uh, because of the, uh, the lack of means. Let's just follow up on your comment, responding to our listeners, your comments uh, saying that it, it is appropriate for people with cold or flu to go and, um, and see a doctor. Because I think anyone who has lived in Western countries knows that there is a different culture there. People do not go routinely, and the doctors will turn you away. And if you go to a, a doctor just because you've got cold or flu, they'll probably send you away without any medicine. So wh- why should Hong Kong be so different? Well, that, that's about education. Mm. I mean, it, it is the, the, the government's position that you should consult a doctor if you have flu-like symptoms. Well, I guess then I can add, uh, we can go to uh, Mr. Chow about this. Um, do, do, if you know like any information regarding the demographics, you know, do we have like a? I assume like a, there will be a low percentage of, um, you know, the younger people going to any versus a much higher percentage of you know the elderly going to any. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Actually, for A and E services, those age under eighteen are the um, like the least share the least um, resources about A and E services because um, the percentage is decreasing. So the burden or like the uh, the major the major users of A and E services are actually those um, age sixty five or above. Mm-hmm. That's also uh, related to our aging population because mm-hmm. it's very um, common or very, it's very understandable that. Because of the aging population, more and more elderly, they they have to use the A and E because they they can't reserve or make a reservation in in other like GOPC because they can't call them, they can't have a vacancy there, and and then they can't use they don't know how to use the uh, HA Go to make a reservation on the GOPC. That's why they have nowhere to go. They have no um they they're, they're um they don't have like first stable income after they're retired. So that they have no choice but to go to the A and E. I think that will be more um, that will be more likely to be the picture of what's happening in Hong Kong now. And that's why I think the problem is how we can satisfy or meet the needs of the elderly or the aging population without asking them to go to the A and E services. That's why I think the um, uh, all, all the efforts of the government used to uh, to build a, the primary healthcare network, um, to build the community services. Those are really critical about diverting the patient load to the community instead of going to the A and E. If there are other alternatives, there will be some kind of motives or incentives for the elderly okay. to use other services. Okay. That's why I think, yeah, I think that should be the way to go. Thank you. Okay, we're now also joined uh, by Dr. David Lamb. Dr. David Lamb is a surgeon and the uh, medical and health services uh, lawmaker. Uh, Dr. Lamb, good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. Good morning. Uh, now, what is your reaction to the health secretary's comment that he com- talking about how all these non-urgent cases in A&E departments and saying that you should try and charge more for non-urgent cases in uh, A&E departments and perhaps less for urgent cases? Well, first of all, we must ask what is the purpose of adjusting the fees. If we are trying to reduce so-called abuses, then we must first of all understand that uh, from the people's point of view, they may not be really abusing the system. It could be in the middle of the night and there's no alternative. They feel sick, 
so they need some help. So that is what people think. And we are not there to impose an additional charge to discourage people from attending medical uh, attention in case they could have a relatively mild symptom. But if that is left alone, they can progress into a severe condition. Um, therefore, I believe that the best way is to give people alternatives. Yes, we do not want to see too many people with minor problems attending the emergency room. But at the same time, you need to give them alternatives. In the daytime, there are alternatives, although we understand that the general outpatient clinic are often full. And in the middle of the night, there is no alternative. So what we have to do before considering raising any fee is to provide people with alternatives. Night clinic is one. Now, with those in mind, and if we have established such alternatives, yes, I agree, it is time to reconsider the, pay, the payment level. Now, the payment there is really to divert people to the proper channels where they receive the proper medical uh, treatment. So if we have, say, night clinic, which charges people at, say, I'm, I'm talking about public night clinics, mm -hmm. like charging between like $200 maybe, then the A&E attendance could be more than that $200 by a certain amount so that people will think twice before they go to the emergency room. So with those in mind, I believe it is not yet time to decide today or tomorrow that we are going to raise the fee of the emergency room attendance. But we are here to consider what alternatives are there we have to set up for our people. Now, now um, thank you for that, uh, Dr. Lam. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is about having alternatives, mm. um, you know, to reduce the waiting time. And, and, and like you mentioned, like, you know, a majority of people going to A&E, they, they usually, it's only because they have no, no, no other option or, you know, mm. they're, they're generally, you know, they're, they're concerned or they're, they're feeling sick. But to, in order to impose all of these alternatives that you mentioned, mm -hmm. I, think, I think right now, would you agree that in, in the sense that there is a lack of talent? Lack of talent, you mean um, human resources? Yes, correct. Um, now, we have uh, doctors and nurses in the community. Half of the doctors are working in the public sector mm -hmm. and half of us are working in private. Mm -hmm. So the better way or well, immediately we can, what we can do is to recruit these talents from the private sectors uh, part-time, of course, to help out in the public sector. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it is already happening that public-private partnership is already part of our healthcare system. Mm. The question is to how to use that talent better. Mm. And of course, we are also welcoming especially Hong Kong residents who study medicine abroad to return to Hong Kong and help out with our healthcare system. With time, when our population gets older and older, definitely we will be facing a more severe shortage mm. in many aspects, including healthcare manpower. Now, another suggestion that's been raised in uh, recent days by some legislators and also as mentioned by one of our listeners uh, to um, relieve overcrowding in the public se sector is that um, Hong Kong hospital services should be for people who live in Hong Kong and we should stop um, be, uh, former Hong Kong residents uh, returning to Hong Kong to uh, take advantage of uh, cheap uh, health care here. What, what, what is your view on that, Dr. Lam? Now, the principle of the healthcare system of Hong Kong is that no one should be denied proper medical care for a lack of means. 
if someone who is a Hong Kong resident, who still holds a permanent Hong Kong residency, uh, returns to Hong Kong for good and to work here, of course we welcome them. But I believe you're talking about people who went abroad for a long time, then we have to define that time, not a year, not two years, maybe five, maybe ten, and have not returned to Hong Kong to, um, for a reasonable period and stay here or work here. And then those are just like any foreigners in a sense, because they are no longer part of our society for a long, long time. Then yes, for those situations, you may consider imposing a higher fee, uh, like what we are doing for overseas, uh, say, um, people come to Hong Kong for business or for, for traveling. So we call those people non-entitled person and you charge a higher fee. But charging is one thing, you still to give them uh, the care that is necessary to maintain. How uh, would you health. draw the line there? Uh, and also, how would you find out? And because these people hold Hong Kong ID cards like anyone else, how, mm. how would you be able to distinguish uh, people who've been uh, living outside Hong Kong for a long time, just come back, uh, but just use their ID card like anyone else? That takes a lot of discussion. Not so, well, it's not that some... Thing I can answer right away. But I do have some principles in mind, is that the period of time one has left Hong Kong, uh, one, the period of time was one, and then whether he has continued to contribute to Hong Kong society, like working, paying tax, or having dependence here. So those are principles we can abide to and discuss. I don't think it's just an easy answer. Right, I mean- uh, and yeah, I mean, if you if you say forfeit their residency after a period of time, that's a major change, and I don't think it is the right time to discuss right away. But yes, we can always consider that in the long run. Like like you said, it's not the right time to think about it. But I'm just thinking, even if we do consider, you know, you know, such a proposal, I mean, mm-hmm. how much of a difference is that going to make, anyways? Like in in terms oh, of reducing the times, yeah. I don't think it's a big deal. We're talking maybe hundreds of people Mm. or even a thousand people coming back for treatment a year, and that's just not a big number compared to what we have in Hong Kong. So what is the solution? We just have to be, um, we just have to face the reality that happens in other countries around the world that A&E wards are going to remain very crowded going forward? No. Um, You can't just look at A&E. You have to look at the entire system. What we want to have is healthier patients and people who seek medical attention early instead of waiting until the very last moment or until heart attack comes. Mm. No. So primary health care is still the best answer. So to educate people, make mm. them realize that they have to take good care of themselves, have a, a lead a healthy lifestyle, uh, treat the problems early, maintain the blood pressure, the blood sugar, do not wait until the vessels are all clogged up. So those are the things we can do to reduce any attendance in the long run. And not only any attendance, but also hospital attendance, hospital, hospital stays as well. And then we should have a better, uh, a healthier society in the long run. That is what we are aiming for. Therefore, development of primary health care is of prime concern to me. Okay, thank you very much indeed. That was uh, Dr. David Lamb, the medical and health services lawmaker, concluding our discussion this morning. We also heard from Alex Lamb from Hong Kong Patients Voice and we and from Dickie Chow at our Hong Kong Foundation, both talking about the situation in A&E um, wards in Hong Kong. Uh, that's it for today. Thank you very much uh, to my uh, co-host, uh, Philip. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Andrew and uh, Carl will be here, so join us for again for Backcheck tomorrow.